Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series on the Book of Romans with this message entitled, The Blessing of Christian Fellowship. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we are your people. We are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are our shepherd. And Lord, we confess that we are somewhat stubborn. Therefore, we pray that you remove the stubbornness of our heart. We confess there is darkness in us. We pray that you drive out darkness by the light of the gospel. We pray, O Lord, that you help us to add faith to the word preached, that we may enjoy your Sabbath rest this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 1, 8 through 15 speaks many things, but I want to speak to you about the blessings of Christian fellowship. In this passage, Paul reveals to us his intense love for the saints in Rome, a people that he had not seen in person. Here this high-born, highly educated, high achiever, this Saul of Tarsus born, a Roman citizen. But we are told elsewhere how he appeared to people. And here is a description of this great apostle. According to tradition, Paul was an ugly little guy. Looked exactly like myself. With beetle brows bandy legs, a bald pate, a hooked nose, bad eyesight, and no great rhetorical skill. But he was God's apostle, a great genius to give it to us, this amazing theology revealed in this longest of his letters, Paul's epistle to the Romans. If we are Christians, through the miracle of regeneration, if we have repented truly of our sins and savingly trusted in Jesus Christ, through the hearing of the gospel of God's Son, then we belong to the family of God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. If this is so, then we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we have fellowship, therefore, with one another. With all the true people of God throughout the whole world, though we do not know them personally. All true believers are our brothers and sisters. 
And so we are under obligation to love them, suffer with them, rejoice with them, and pray for them. We are one great family of God. We are an international body of Christ that knows no racial, gender, or ethnic discrimination. So in our text, Romans 1, 8 through 15, we notice Apostle Paul's intense love for Roman Christians, as I said, who were not known to them personally. Yet, in truth, he is in fellowship with them. The gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, creates a Christian community, a Christian fellowship. So we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 where the word fellowship appears first in the Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostolic doctrine and fellowship. Where there is doctrine, there is a community. There is necessarily a fellowship. Where there is preaching of the gospel, there is God's church. And there are great blessings in Christian fellowship. So we want to consider a number of things. First, we are told about his thanksgiving. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. By the way, I appreciate some of you are memorizing and studying diligently, especially this young fellow, 15 years of age, Dylan Farber. And I visited him at the hospital, and he, the last thing he asked me, can you recommend a commentary on Romans? And not only I recommended, I bought it for him. Commentary by Robert Haldane. Thanksgiving. I thank my God. So Paul thanks God for the church of Rome, which he did not found. Yet he praises God for calling into existence that body of believers in the capital city of the Roman Empire. He's not thanking them. He thanks God for them. Specifically for their faith. I thank my God. In other words, he thanks God with whom he enjoys intimate relationship. He says elsewhere, my God shall supply all your needs. David says in Psalm 18, I love, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my shepherd. If you cannot say, I thank my God, you are not a Christian. You are not born of God. Your profession is empty. So I ask this morning, do you have a personal relationship with God to be able to say, I thank my God? You understand the meaning of it. 
when you say, my father, my wife, my children. And we should be able to say, my father, my God, in such infinitely great degree than, say, my wife and my children. We must love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you love God intensely with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength enough to say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That knowledge is experimental and personal and intimate, not theoretical. Paul glorified God for everything. Secondly, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. The only time this expression comes in this epistle, through Jesus Christ. Access to God the Father is only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our only mediator. Jesus Christ, our only atonement. Robed in Christ's righteousness, we come to God and enjoy fellowship with him. We worship God through Jesus Christ. And I say to you, all of life, all of our life is worship. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, For through him, that is through Jesus Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So this tells you there is no access to the Father unless you come to him through his Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and raised for our justification. No religion except Christianity, vital Christianity, shows the way to the Father. Salvation is found in no one else except in Jesus Christ. Reject Jesus Christ, you reject God the Father and his eternal salvation. Reject Jesus Christ, you welcome eternal damnation. Jesus Christ is our atonement. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Whoever lives to make intercession for us. Number three. He thanks God through Jesus Christ because, because of the faith of the Roman uh, Christians. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they were saved. But God was the author of their faith. Repentance and faith are divine miracles, divine gifts. You want a Pray for a miracle, well then pray for repentance and saving faith. Without which no one can be saved. Their faith was a vibrant, flourishing faith, visible to all Christians in the Roman Empire. 
Though saving faith is an invisible interior reality, like the root of a tree, it manifests externally by obedient works like the fruits of a tree. Faith without works is dead. It is the devil's faith. Faith of Romans was authentic and visible. Because other Christians spoke about their faith throughout the Roman Empire. Let's turn with me to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 1 verse 3 speaks about the faith of the Thessalonians. Verse 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Faith is invisible. Love is interior and invisible. Patience is interior and invisible. But it, they manifest themselves in terms of work and labor and hope. And then take a look at verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. The same idea that we read. In Romans 1. Martin Lloyd-Jones said. True revival needs no human advertisement. He says. And I quote. A revival never needs to be advertised. It always advertises itself. Faith always issues in obedience to God. Paul received the. Apostolic call to call the Gentiles unto the obedience of faith. I ask you, is your faith visible to other people? Other Christians as well as your enemies? Is your faith visible to the world through good works? Is your faith proclaimed everywhere? Number four, he says, God is my witness. Paul loves Roman Christians. In this letter, he tells them about his love for them. To persuade them to believe, he calls God to witness this reality of his love for them. He takes an oath so that the Romans will know that Paul really loves them, prays for them, cares for them. The book of Romans, chapter 9 and verse 1, let me read to you. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Or Second Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 23. I call God as my witness. It is not sinful to take an oath. If you tell truth. Call God to witness to that truth. I call God as my witness. That it was in order to spare you. That I did not return to Corinth. 
or 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31. Let me read from verse 30. I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus who is to be praised forever knows that I am not lying. He calls God who sees all things to witness to the Romans of his love for them. I call God who sees all things to witness to you my heart love for you. My God guarantees the veracity of my love for you. Do we love God's people whom we see with our eyes? And can you call God as your witness that you love them, that you pray for them, that you care for them? Number five, whom I serve in my spirit. NIV translates it with my whole heart. For Paul, all of life is serving God. Worshipping God. There is no sacred and secular distinction for Christians. We live coram Deo. In the presence of God. Joseph said this to Potiphar's wife. How can I do this wicked thing? And sin against God. He was living coram Deo. So lived Jesus always in God's presence. Resisting the devil. And all temptations. Doing that which is pleasing. In the sight of God. Paul is saying. That he served God sincerely. With all his heart. He is saying that. He was not serving God. With hypocrisy. He was not a religious actor. Putting on some air of spirituality to fool people. And deceive people. And take money from their pockets. Let's turn to chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians and verse 17. When I plan this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner? So that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. Turn to chapter 4, 2 Corinthians and verse 2. Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. Nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Oh, there were false ministers who masquerades headed as ministers of truth. Let me read it to you. Second Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade. As servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. 
he says to the Romans, I serve my God in my spirit. Or Second Corinthians 10, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. St. Paul knew God looks at the heart and not outward appearance. He knew God desires truth in in our inward parts. He so served God in the gospel of his son. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The whole counsel of God. He proclaimed the whole gospel. And he lived the whole gospel. So we read here. God whom I serve with my whole heart. In the gospel of his son. In the gospel of his son. That's the sphere of his ministry. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. And read. Chapter 2. When I came to you brothers. I did not come with eloquence. Or superior wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved. To know nothing while I was with you. Except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Most ministers of today refuse to serve God in the gospel of his Son. They preach a synthetic gospel of their own creation. That makes them rich and famous. For they seek man's approval. Not God's. Number six. His love for them is revealed in terms of his constant prayer. Constant prayer. Verse 9, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. He was a man of prayer. God witnessed his love for Romans expressed in his prayer for them. And he prayed for them constantly. He prayed for them on all occasions. He made mention of them in his prayers. And we learned that Daniel prayed three times. So also Paul prayed many times in a day. And we hear him praying at midnight in the Philippian jail. And in these prayers of his, he will mention the names of all these believers in all places. 
we have to pray more beyond ourselves. He prayed not just for himself but for others even for those whom he, he did not know by face. Intercession for others demonstrate our love in Christ for people. And as Christians we are to pray for others even for our enemies. And we read in Romans 8 Jesus Christ prays for us. Also Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We must pray for one another. Robert Haldane in his commentary says to pray without laboring is to mock God. And to labor without prayer is to rob God of his glory. Prayer directs our service and makes our service effectual. Number seven, it says he prays in the will of God. In the will of God. He prays that God will direct his way to them that he may see them and bless them through his gospel ministry. But he is a slave of Christ Jesus. He does not command or demand anything of his master. He waits for the master to command him to go to Rome. He waits for God's will. There is God's commission to preach the gospel to the whole world. Yet we must seek God's will in terms of where and when we must preach the gospel. There is a general will as well as specific will of God. So we pray that God's will be made clear to us. We don't pray my will be done. We pray thy will be done. And we surrender ourselves completely to his will. That's what it means to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus taught us. And Jesus himself prayed. On Gethsemane thy will be done. Also turn with me to Romans 15. And beginning with verse 30, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that, notice, by God's will I may come to you with joy, and together with you be refreshed. And you pray. And God answers, yes, no, or wait. So he prayed for himself to go to Rome. He didn't say yes, he didn't say no. He said wait, and he kept praying. And we are told in chapter 1, verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. He prayed to go to Rome. He planned often to go to Rome. He sought God's counsel. Yet he was prevented from going to Rome 
We are given some reason for this in 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning with verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not come, I would not be building on someone else's foundation, rather as it is written. This is why I have often hindered from coming to you. Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So here we are told what is the reason. The reason is God said, God is saying, you are not going to go to Rome until you finish evangelizing the eastern Mediterranean, Asia, Macedonia, Achaia, and other places, which he now finished. And so he is thinking that God is helping him to go to Rome. God's time was not yet. He had to finish work in the eastern Mediterranean region. I want you to know that God guides us. You read Acts 16, verse 6 and 7. Holy Spirit prevented Paul from preaching here and preaching there. And then he guided him to preach in Macedonia. And God permits Satan to prevent us. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18. And God permits circumstances to prevent us from doing certain things, such as sickness. But God will, in his time, guide us in his will to do God's work where he wants us to work. A Christian is one who is led by the Spirit of God. He finally arrived in Rome, not exactly the way he expected. He had planned finally to go to Rome after visiting Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was bound. He was imprisoned for two years in Caesarea. When sent to Rome as a prisoner, he was shipwrecked. And finally arrived in God's will to Rome as a prisoner of Caesar in shackles. In chains. Yet it was God's will. We don't like it. Turn with me to the book of Romans. And there we find. Acts chapter 19. And verse 21. After all this had happened. Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there. He said I must visit Rome. But. Things happened. He is arrested. But notice chapter 23 and verse 11. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage! As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And then there was the shipwreck. Turn with me to chapter 27 of Acts. And there also God ministers to him. 
Acts 27 beginning with verse 23. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said do not be afraid. Paul you must stand trial before Caesar. We don't like the way he guides us sir. But if we are slaves of Christ, we will surrender totally to our master to do whatever he wants to do with us. Number eight, what is the purpose of his visit? He loved the Roman saints. Most of them were Gentiles. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Most of them he had never seen. Yet they were his brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant Adelphoi brothers. So he longed to see them. Bless them. Pray with them. And for them. Preach to them. And teach them. And counsel them. And enjoy their fellowship. And we are told. That he wanted to go there to impart some spiritual gift to them. He's always a giver. He wants to give what he has received from God. I take this to mean that Paul desired to minister to them, especially by preaching the gospel to them, revealing to them the unsearchable riches of Christ, as outlined in this letter. His purpose was to strengthen them, to establish them. Babes must grow up and become adults. We become strong by the knowledge of the word of God, sir. Now it's not the miracles that will make us strong. It is the knowledge of God that will make us strong. That will root us and found us in God. And in his great love. Those who are ignorant of God's word remain, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, spiritual butterflies. Ignorant, emotional, and vacillating, and self-focused, and miserable, and complaining, and anxious, and silly. The Bible says God has gifted the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the purpose that we grow up and be mature, that we become strong spiritual adults able to endure hardship and persevere to the end in the faith that we might fight the good fight run the race and keep the faith and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 11 it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming So Christian fellowship is so important. When we fellowship, we each impart spiritual gifts to one another, which strengthens one another. To each one of us, God has given grace that we may enrich 
one another. We are a body with many members. Each member has a function designed to help the rest of the members. What we have received, we give. Freely we have received, freely give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When we receive more, we give more. So Christian fellowship is giving and receiving for the edification of the whole body, local and international. Soon I am planning to go to India to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen believers in various cities in India. Brothers, we are weak. We need strengthening. We are discouraged. We need encouragement of the Lord. So we need one another. So we come together to strengthen one another, to encourage one another with the grace God has given to us. We need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we come together and share. We impart strength. Turn Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. Here now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. It is the word of his grace that can build you up. Yes, yes First Thessalonians and chapter 3 and verse 2 tells us about the need of strengthening. And here chapter 3 and verse 2, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, to sp- in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. In the faith. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, that speaks about spiritual gifts. And listen to the, what is the purpose of these spiritual gifts edification of the body. Verse 5. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up, edified, made strong. And verse 12. So it is with you since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. And verse 26 and verse 31 tells you the same thing. And today we read Hebrews chapter 3 and let us turn to it and it says the importance of Christian fellowship to build one another up. Chapter 3 of Hebrews beginning with verse 12. See to it brothers that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that no one of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We all need encouragement. And here read verse 12. Even the apostle needed encouragement. It says that is I may be encouraged together with you through our mutual faith. And he needed encouragement. You can go home and read 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Be encouraged and build each other up through our faith, it says. Our faith. If your faith is weak because you do not want to read the word and meditate upon it and do the word, then you cannot be of great use to anybody. Strong faith gives you a ministry. To make other people strong. 
The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Strong faith of one person ministers to the little faith of another. Faith in the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ strengthens others. Paul plans to go to Rome to strengthen them and be strengthened by them. Even apostles need strengthening pastors, need strengthening fathers, need strengthening husbands, need strengthening. Paul wanted to go to Rome not for sightseeing, but to see the saints, that he may fellowship with them, that he may, through his gospel ministry, strengthen them and be strengthened by them. So he says, I long, I crave, that's the word, to see you. You have such craving to see God's people. Brothers and sisters, do you have such craving and longing to see and fellowship with God's people? And you go home and read Romans 12, verse 6 and following, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Ephesians 4, verse 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It tells you each one has received grace so that you can help and minister to other people. The purpose of Paul's visiting Romans, he also says that he may have some fruit among them. That he may have some converts among the unbelievers of Rome. Also that he may have some fruit also among believers in terms of their spiritual growth. We all serve God by serving one another that God the Father, the gardener may receive fruit and more fruit and much fruit and be greatly pleased. So he plans to come to Rome in God's will, in God's time to preach the gospel to them. And he says finally, verse 15, I am ready. He's ready and eager to go to Rome. He longs to go to Rome. All because he is the slave of Christ, separated unto the gospel of God. He is especially an apostle to the Gentiles. And there were many Gentiles in Rome. Number nine, he is a debtor to all peoples of the world. Read it. 14 and 15, cultured and uncivilized, intelligent and ignorant. God does not discriminate. Gospel of God does not discriminate. Grace pays our debts to God and makes all of us debtors to others. Think in your mind that somebody gave medicine for me who is suffering from a disease and this medicine is going to cure me. Somebody entrusted this medicine and said, you must give to Pastor Matthew this medicine. It will, he will be healed. And you failed to give it to me, that medicine. It is a criminal activity. It is thievery. It is irresponsibility. It is unloving nature of human heart. He says, I'm a debtor. Grace paid my debts to God. And grace made me a debtor to others. How dare we keep the gospel bread to our souls when there are multitudes starving. We owe them this bread. Not only the apostles, 
Not only pastors, but every believer is a debtor. Remember the words of the lepers in 2 Kings 7 who discovered lots of bread during the famine of Samaria. And they said this, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. Let's go at once and report. We are debtors. All must hear the gospel. God so loved the world. We are channels of blessing rather than a dam. We are like a river Jordan. Blessing land on either side. And not like the Dead Sea. Let's be eager to pay our debt. It's a great shame to not to pay this debt of the gospel. Because there is no other savior but Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. God has entrusted the gospel to us for others. To Cornelius, God said, go and call Peter. He will tell you the gospel. The angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is the Lord. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always, even to the end of the ages. The one who received all authority in heaven and on earth is with us, to guide us, to protect us, to empower us, and to provide for us, and to bring us at the end of our journey safely home. So Paul says, I'm ready. I'm eager. I'm willing to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He desires to pay his debt to the Romans. So I was also called to, the, to be a missionary. And God cast me into the other end of the world. I came in God's will to this country, to this state, to this county, to this city. To preach the gospel to you. To obtain a harvest among you. To impart some spiritual gift to you. To strengthen you and be strengthened by you. So let us all determine today to pay our gospel debt to all whom God will bring our way. Let us do so for the glory of God. For this reason, the gospel alone is the medicine for human sin. For the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to love the church. Love all God's people everywhere. Help us to intercede for them, rejoice with them, suffer with them, pray for them, support them. And help us also, God, to pay our debt for the world. It is a sin, it is a crime to be entrusted with something for someone and we refuse to pay. Lord, help us from this day forward first to enjoy salvation and to proclaim salvation. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio of the sermon entitled The Blessing of Christian Fellowship. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.